You are listening to Building the Future, Green Building in the New Millennium, brought to you by SustainableHomesOfTheFuture.com. I'm your host, Ian Sollenberger, and this podcast is for anyone that wants to collaborate and learn more about how to design and construct energy-efficient buildings for an environmentally sustainable future. If you have questions about how to design and build with a lower environmental impact, or you'd like to come on our show as a guest, please email me directly at info at SHF, that's Sustainable Homes of the Future, shfbuild.com. Uh, visit our website at shfbuild.com or find us on Facebook and Instagram at shfbuild. Our mission with this podcast is to inspire you, our listeners, to go out and be sustainability advocates. Share these ideas so we can truly push this industry forward. We need each and every one of you to help us build the future today. Thank you, everyone, for joining us at Building the Future, Green Building in the New Millennium. Uh, the podcast where we explore new ideas and innovations in the built environment for the future of people, profit, and planet. And my name is Ian Sollenberger. I'm your host. And today I am very excited to be joined uh, by two uh, big wigs in the uh, Habitat LA, that's Habitat for Humanity LA, um, the president and CEO, Aaron Garrity Rank, and Daryl Simeon, who is the senior vice president of community development at Habitat Greater Los Angeles. Um, thank you both for joining me. I really appreciate you being here. Welcome. Thank you for having us. Yeah. Um, so I have a little personal story, if you don't mind me starting off. The, the first time I had heard about uh, Habitat for Humanity as an organization was my grandfather after he retired and he was not a builder, but um, he had built a couple homes for his family over the years. And when he retired, he got involved uh, with volunteering for Habitat and building homes. and loved it and spoke so well of the organization and um, and all the people that were being helped. This was in sort of the central Ohio area. And um, and so, you know, I've always wanted to get involved in some way. So I'm, I'm glad that this little opportunity for a, a partnership came up and excited to learn more about your organization. Um, Aaron, why don't you kick us off by maybe starting, uh, you know, talking about the difference between Habitat International and then uh, Habitat LA specifically, organization you guys work for, um, and then also maybe how, what, what your mission statement is and how sustainability uh, does or does not play a role, I assume it does, in your your business and, and your organizational model. Absolutely. Uh, thank you again, Ian, for having us. Habitat for Humanity International is, uh, uh, we build in 70 countries around the world, so we, we are tackling the housing landscape um, in many diverse communities. And here in the US, we cover most of the United States. Almost every community is served by a Habitat for Humanity affiliate where a local board will select families and raise the funds to build our homes and recruit volunteers like your grandfather to come out and actually swing a hammer. And so our vision is a world where everyone has a decent place to live. And our, our goal is to bring people together from all walks of life in our communities to build those homes, to build communities and to build hope within uh, the people who will live in those homes. That's awesome. Um, and, and how, you know, you definitely spoke to sustainability on sort of a um, societal, I guess, uh, level, you know, as far as homes for everyone. Um, and with, with the push or the 
you know, the, the homeless uh, problem that we're experiencing now, you know, where does, where does Habitat kind of come in there? Are you working with formerly homeless folks? Or are you mostly uh, working with folks that are sort of in a low to moderate income? Or, or hmm. It's a great question. And I think that sustainability for us applies not only to the homes, but to the home buyers and the mm. families that we serve. And so we want to create homes that are sustainable um, and have a, um, a green footprint. And we also wanna build families who are sustainable. And to us, that means self-sufficient. So through um, home ownership, we are able to give families who are earning uh, less than medium income, uh, the opportunity to build equity, to have an asset, that they can then use to start a business or send their kids to college uh, or go to college themselves. And so uh, our goal is that by the time our families purchase their home, they're well on their way to being self-sufficient. And our families are, uh, like I said, lower income families, they're working, they're earning uh, about the same wage as a family who may qualify for uh, rental assistance. Hmm. However, in a, in um other programs, typically families are uh, allowed to live in a unit as long as their income doesn't go up. Whereas in our program, we would love for families, you know, to uh, grow their income from the point that they buy the home uh, on into the future. So we are, we're looking to build the sustainability of our families, our communities, and our homes all at the same time. That's fantastic. Um, and how do you how do you choose those families? Um, how does how does the process work? You know, just in short. Sure. As soon as we have a parcel of land where we know we're going to build some habitat homes, we canvass the local community through um, door knocking and through um, community events where we hold information sessions. We're doing a lot of that online now, and we um, tell people about the habitat model. And so we're um, working with families whose household income for a family of four would be, say, $85,000 or less each year for the total household. Um, typically, they have some money set aside, but it, they don't have enough for a down payment in the traditional market. And I think the most unique factor is that we engage the family in the construction of the home. And so um, families have to be willing to contribute sweat equity uh, to help build their homes and their neighbors' homes. And then at the end of the process, they become a homeowner and they make affordable mortgage payments. We set it at affordable level, uh, affordable mortgage payments back to Habitat. And we recycle that those funds to build future Habitat homes. That's great. So it truly is a, a circular, I mean, an insular, but circular economy um, sort of forward. approach. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, and, you know, I'm interested how how did you you've been with Habitat for um, for quite some time now since looks like 1998 um, you got your uh, master's in counseling psychology and worked for the Office of Education in Los Angeles County for a little while uh, tell me about that transition and kind of what drew you to Habitat um, to begin with and well I had gone on a trip. Um, with my church to build, uh, to build, rebuild a uh, church there in the Philippines. Hmm. Uh, so I went on an overseas trip first and really saw the effect of 
first, we tried to build it ourselves with a small little team of six people, and we struggled. And then uh, over the weeks that we were there, we we invited the local community members to help us out. And I saw how much more effective it was to be working with the community instead of for the community. Hmm. And um, so I decided I would volunteer with Habitat. When I came back, I had been working on a youth leadership program with the County Office of Education. So I brought some of my high school kids out to a Habitat site and we volunteered and that was around 1995. And I just fell in love with the organization. The first day we were there, they handed the keys over to a family and I just got hooked. And I also felt really empowered because uh, you know, like your grandfather, I, I grew up thinking I'd be a, a totally different career, right? I was planning to be a veterinarian. And yet uh, when I when I came out and swung a hammer and started doing some of the tasks on the house, it felt very empowering. So I kept coming back and then um, it was a very small operation at the time. I think they were on house number seven and um, they, you know, I got more involved as a volunteer. And then finally they said, you know, we want to hire us our first paid staff person, would you throw your head in the ring? And so I did. And then I made that, that leap from education into housing and have been doing this ever since. Housing, jobs, and education. You got two, two out of the three there. <laughs> oh, and, and you guys employ, it's worth mentioning, you guys employ, isn't it like a, almost 180, almost 200 uh, folks just within the Habitat LA? 140 and 150 right now. 150, nice. Mm-hmm. That's incredible. That's uh, it's a, one of the largest habitat organizations in certainly in the country, I believe, right? It is one of the largest. And this year we'll actually build our um, 1,007th home. So my 1,000th home will be this year. That's awesome. And also, Ian, we also bring in about 10,000 volunteers a year as well. So we have our staff, but we engage over 10,000 people a year with our different programs and our projects. So pretty we're, we're we're impressive i'm impressed by us <laughs> <laughs> i am as well and and yeah i mean you are truly a community organization um which is a great sort of segue into we were just talking before we hopped on here daryl about your background in, in community development um you worked for a couple for-profit developers i believe uh mixed in there along the way but tell us how you got involved with with habitat la well, you know, I, I went to school for film, so I studied to become a filmmaker. Makes sense. And, dur- <laughs> and during my studies, um, I got a job with the community development department for City of Long Beach. And during my time there, I discovered that the processes that I was learning making a film were very similar to making a affordable housing development, hmm. like very, very similar process. And so as I, as, as I graduated and I matured, you know, I kept having that call back to, into community development. Like I felt a bigger calling for that than the film. And so, you know, I, I was just really, really, it made me really satisfied to be able to see the impact that I was having on a, on a community that needed it and also on two families that needed it. And so during my time, when I first started in community development, I met and I, I was introduced to Habitat for Humanity and I actually met Erin Rank and she was the uh, present CEO of Habitat Long Beach at that time. And we worked together, I on the city side, her on the Habitat side to do a couple of projects. And they're always phenomenal projects. They're, they're, they're always the best projects because there's so much community involved in it, you know, 
and just to see the the impact that it had on the families really was galvanizing. And so then a couple of years went by, I, I went private. I was doing master plan communities in Texas and California. Hmm. And, but, you know, never, never had that satisfaction that I did with uh, when I was doing affordable housing, especially with my habitat projects. So about 11 years ago, an opportunity came about that I can join the habitat team. And, you know, I, I, I jumped at the chance and, you know, 11 years later, you know, my, my, my heart is filled with so many stories of the impact that we have had on communities, but especially the families and, you know, to see first generation college students, to see our buyers go back to school and get their degrees as adults. And just to see also the impact that our homes have had on entire communities has been, it's been life changing for me. So would you be able to I share, um, one particular uh, story or, you know, one particular client that, that really um, stands out to you that, you know, kind of on those days where you're having maybe trouble getting out of bed or something like that, you're like, yeah, I remember, I remember John and his home, you know, and his family or whatever. Well, there, there's, there's a, one of my first projects was this project in Linwood. And, hmm. um, you know, it's not just one person, it was all the kids. And so all the children that came out, you know, they were just, you know, to see the, them so amazed by the construction process. So they would come out, you know, and visit the, the sites themselves. And I was on the site all the time. And so like, I fell in love with them all. And so what happened is, you know, to, to the dismay of uh, my boss at the time is I promised to paint every kid's room a different color. <laughs> <laughs> And so I would go through all the houses and every kid who had a room was like, all right, what color do you want? And I had a whole, I had a whole, a whole list of colors. And so, you know, it did extend the building, maybe a couple, you know, maybe a week per project, but, <laughs> but. You ate that overage, I'm sure. Right. Yeah. You, you took that out yeah. of your salary. Yeah. So for, for when we dedicated the houses and for them to run into their rooms and just to see it done and them to have, and typically this is always, you know, majority of our families, this is their first room they've ever had as a kid. And for them to have that, I mean, there were so many tears and I think like they were so young, they couldn't understand their emotions. And so, you know, you mm -hmm. just see just a full gamut of emotions from kids, from kids just staring in space, not able to talk to just kids, just crying little hearts out or the kids like blocking the doors, like you can't come in, this is, <laughs> this <laughs> this is, is my, my room, yeah. this is my space. And so that, that, that really hit home for me, especially since I have young children as well. So that's awesome. That's incredible. Um, I have, I have a seven month old now and I, it's a whole new world. It really is when you, you know, uh, when you just have that connection, you, you really are thinking about them instead of yourself for the first time in, uh, in your life. And, um, that's a good segue, I suppose, into sort of maybe sustainability as it applies to green building and, um, you know, greening construction a little bit. I think that's uh, a field you like to speak to, Daryl. What I know you guys have, you know, you guys have a, a sheet, a green sheet um, of, you know, some of your basically standard practices, um, which I just have to say is very impressive because if you go around Los Angeles and you talk to the quote unquote uh, green developers or green construction companies out there, their green sheet is 
nothing, you know, it's like maybe a <laughs> rain barrel and maybe some non-toxic paint or something like that. So the fact that you guys are using, I don't want to give it all away here, but you know, denim insulation and um, you know, you're thinking about things to some degree, like passive design, even in the design processes. I mean, that's by that's, that's steps ahead of, of a, a lot of the, a lot of the folks out there. So if you want to talk a little bit about maybe how that came about, what you guys have tried, what's worked, what hasn't worked um, as far as green building and, and sustainable construction goes. I think Aaron mentioned it. So since 2000, you know, we have been building basically homes to lead standard or above, you know, we got the first uh, habitat, we got 30 homes, the first 30 homes to be habitat lead certified in 2008. And so for us, it's kind of always been in our DNA. You know, we recognize that our homes have to last much longer than a typical home. So our homes don't change over that often. You know, they're generational. So yeah. our homes pass from generation to generation. You know, we, our homes hardly ever sell. And so, you know, we recognize that a sustainable home also is a more cost efficient home to our, to our families. You know, they save money on their energy costs. And in turn, they have more resources to put towards other parts of their lives, not just housing. And so that's, that's been really important. Also, as Aaron mentioned, we are always in the forefront of technology. And so, you know, we'll, we were one of the first to integrate uh, tankless water heaters. And, you know, we have been putting solar, on our, we, we've been building solar ready homes since 2010. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we have been kind of on the forefront of what is actually happening now. And so for us to continue it is just, you know, part of our, our nature. You know, we're lucky, we're blessed. We have an in-house design team and our in-house design team is phenomenal. And so, you know, we have been, we have been tinkering with our designs for years just to like, because we'll build it and then we actually have a postmortem on the construction to see, okay, what has happened? Uh, how can we make it better? And, you know, also integrate what's happening in the field of uh, energy efficiencies and sustainability. So how can we integrate this new, this new technology into our builds? And so you've just seen, like you mentioned, we have, um, uh, we're solar ready. We have low flow plumbing fixtures. We have high efficiency HVAC systems. Uh, we use recycled materials, the recycled denim. Who, who would have known that so many jeans were made and produced that could produce so much insulation for us? So we use recycled denim for insulation. Yeah. And being um, in LA, I mean, there, you yeah. have that available. You know, the fashion yes. district is, is just up the way. So that's a smart use of, of something that's local as well. Yeah. And then also we have our drought tolerant landscaping. We really, we really look at our design and we analyze the sites before we get going and we see how can we you know, like retain the water better with mm -hmm. our, with our uh, flow chart. Um, <clears throat> how can we place windows and doors so we have cross ventilation so there's not so much the, the air conditioning and the HVAC system is not taxed as much so it could cool efficiently. Yeah. Uh, we even look at our, our roof lines to say, okay, where's the, where's the sun <laughs> so that we can best capture solar with our solar panels with our roof lines. So we really dig into it to make sure that we are providing uh, the most energy efficient and sustainable house that we can. And Aaron, if you don't, yeah, I was going to actually throw it to you for a second. So where did that, where did the impetus for that start? Was it just for that desire to, to provide, um, you know, healthier and, and more cost efficient homes for the, uh, for the client or for the buyer? 
Well, I think you you hit the nail on the head there. No pun intended. But yeah. I think that, um, <laughs> it is it is a pocketbook issue for our families. So it, yeah. in addition to it being you know climate friendly, it's also saving money. Our families are saving money, and that means more money that they can have to put food on the table. So. Uh, just building on what Daryl said, you know, we were first in partnership with the U.S. Green Building Council and several other environmental groups 22 years ago, back in 2000, when we were building a 26-home neighborhood in Wilmington called Green Trails. And uh, we looked at ways to use less lumber. We looked at ways to, um, you know, uh, recycle water for the uh, HVAC system. Um, and, and those homes were also, uh, we, we used a um, durable material for the roof that didn't have, you know, had a lifetime warranty. Hmm. Um, and so we were really looking at ways, we, we actually put the studs on set of eight, every 18 inches, they were 24 inches apart using um, uh, larger lumber so we could reduce the amount of lumber we were using in the homes. And then carry forward, we, we were, um, when Lead for Homes came out, we were some of the first affordable homes to use Lead for Homes in the city of Los Angeles. And in, in 07, we added solar to the roofs of our homes. And, and from that point on, we had a commitment that every new home we built would meet Lead for Homes uh, designations uh, until the, the codes were updated. And then we piloted the first net zero affordable homes in the city of Los Angeles. Daryl and his team built um, some net zero homes in partnership with the city. And then we partnered with uh, SciArc um, in 2016 to build another affordable, sustainable housing model. And, um, and then most recently, we've been piloting an ADU program, which, you know, Very adds cool. more housing to the city of Los Angeles. So we've sort of always been the, uh, the affordable version of all the green technology for in-home use. That's great. Um, you know, that makes me think, you're talking about the 24 inches on center. I mean, not only does that cut down on the lumber, but then also you have less, uh, what they call thermal bridging, um, you know, so you're not losing as much uh, potential air for your insulation. Um, you have a tighter envelope. I mean, what's what I think is so cool about um, what I, what we talk on the podcast about integrative design, and it all starts in the in the design phase, because it, you can you can find ways to reduce costs um, and use better materials. I mean, you can build a, a net zero home for less than the cost of a traditional still stick built home, and there's such um, I think a, a misnomer out there, you know, or a misunderstanding out there that because something is green or because it's healthy or because it's eco-friendly, that therefore it's going to cost twice as much. And I mean, you guys are a perfect example of the fact that even 12, 15 years ago, that that wasn't necessarily the case because you were doing it in an intelligent way. If all you're trying to do is take your normal process and then just add healthy products into that process, then yes, it will cost more. But if you're thinking about it on the on the front end and doing some yeah. of those passive design strategies that, that you talked about, Daryl, then you really can actually achieve a, a cost savings with this stuff. So it, you know, it speaks to that whole people profit planet, um, USGBC definition of, of what sustainability is really. Um, I don't know if you guys have anything to add. What, what is, Daryl, what is sort of like, um, something that, that you've seen in the last five years or so that, that has come online as far as a, an efficient technology or, or something that, that has really been a game changer um, for you guys when it comes to the green construction or the sustainability piece? 
what was really the, the big thing is when this all came out, everything was super, super expensive. And luckily we had partnerships that allowed us to get some of this equipment at cost or free. So nice. like I mentioned, tankless water heaters earlier, tankless water heaters are now, they're not only, they're, they're now the norm, not the exception. When we were doing it, it was the exception. And also now what's great is, you know, all of the energy companies have these amazing rebates and refund programs to everyone across the board so you can in effect get this stuff for free you know all you have to do is apply for it and so i think and so now now i think it's a big push to be able to get everything if you have an existing home retrofitted and if you have a new home start using these new technologies and so that's one also like the change in landscape and the landscape technologies have really changed you know, us uh, retaining water on site has been really big. Obviously, we don't, we're not going to the storm drains no more or as much as we were. So mm -hmm. that's obviously great for the environment. And also that water is recycled and used for to, to feed the landscape itself. And so, you know, and, and, then, um, and then the HVAC systems is yeah. totally different than it used to be. You know, yeah. the houses are so much more tighter. You know, we're starting to integrate more mini split systems. So then that is a, it's, it's just a, is, is used in overseas everywhere, but it's oh yeah, really Japan, Japan so, kind of decided yeah. at the same time that we decided to go all in with oil back in the seventies, you know, early eighties. Japan decided, hey, we're going to do all electric, and now their units are, you know, three, four times more efficient than the than the ones that we're using here in the U.S. Um, uh, are, so back to the the water recycling for a second. Are you doing gray water systems, or are you just so talk a little bit about about that. So it, it depends on the size of the project. So on a single family lot, we'll do a great water system where we are taking the water and then it it recycles back and does the does the yard. Mm -hmm. um, also on our bigger on our bigger projects, we use a Coltec system, and so we'll we'll use that. And the same thing, the Coltec system, it it the rainwater and stormwater recharges the Coltec and then it slowly goes back into the earth. It does not go into the storm drains. And so, you know, we, we actually are a little bit more aggressive than what cities require us to be just because, you know, we want to make sure that if, if there's a hundred year rain, like it's not going to be a failure on our sites. You know, we're going to make sure that, because again, like I said, our, our, our homes have to last, you know, I want to say forever. And <laughs> so we want to make sure that we are at the forefront of any, any design changes that might come in the future. Nice. That, that's fantastic. Um, and, and I'm assuming, you know, this, this question's for both of you. I don't know if you want to talk to it, Aaron, because you've been with the organization a little bit longer, but I'm assuming, you know, one of the, the big things that's changed over the last 20 years is that the cost of some of these um, technologies and materials and, and things, you know, the, the green materials that, that you can apply um, has come down quite a bit. You, you Daryl just spoke about the rebates and some of the, the tax programs and things, but the, just the cost overall you know, as these products are scaling has, has come down. Is, is that helped you guys out as well with the implementation of this? I think in most cases it has come down. As, as Daryl said, um, the benefit of being on the forefront is oftentimes we can test the materials um, and have them donated. But on a scale level, we, we have seen um, as things have become more integrated into new home design or even into Ret retroactively into existing homes, 
uh, the cost has come down. And you guys have programs, um, not just for new homes, but you have renovation programs and weatherization programs through, through Habitat as well. Is that correct? That's right. We help over 100 families a year um, with home repairs, and we are doing a major 300 home um, retrofit, energy retrofit program in the city of Los Angeles over the next three years. And um, so we are going in and uh, replacing windows and uh, water heaters and remind what else, Daryl? Insulation as well. Mm -hmm. And then doors. We're actually like doing a thermal check of the house. And so what's great is with this program is not only are we, you know, building new homes that are sustainable, but we're retrofitting, retrofitting the existing housing stock into becoming sustainable. That's great. Um, you know, that that's the number one way if you look up, you know, solutions for sustainability, it's using existing homes instead of building so many new ones, you know, that's, that's sort of a low hanging fruit uh, situation there. And, and also, you know, one of the biggest problems in LA, and I'm sure in other markets as well, is that you have these, these folks that have been in these homes that are generational homes. Um, and then you've got these cash buyers who show up at the door. And, you know, at a certain point, the price, you know, it, it's hard, it's hard for the, the one or three or five holdouts in the neighborhood when everybody else is, is taking that money and, and going somewhere else. And you, you have this whole new set of people moving in and kind of taking over the neighborhood, um, doing some of those retrofits and helping people with the costs of their home. You know, as those property taxes start to go up, that's the biggest reason that people can't stay in their homes because of speculative development. And so being able to help them maybe save, you know, three or $400 over the course of a year could help keep them in their home for another four or five years. Um, and, and that's something that never really even occurred to me, you know, and, until, until recently when I was having a conversation with somebody and, and that is, you know, I, I don't live in my parents' home, so I'm a renter, <laughs> you know, I'm somebody who would love to own a home at, at some point, but, um, you know, there are, there are a lot of folks that own homes and then get pushed out. And so that's I, just kudos to that and working on, on those retrofit programs as well. You're right. A lot of the families that we serve are those who have owned their home for a long period of time and now for either physical or financial reasons can't afford to maintain their homes. And they would like to stay in their homes and age in place um, and not have to move out. So by us coming in and ensuring that the critical health factors and safety factors inside the home are addressed, they're able to stay in their home and age in place. It's more affordable for them in the long term, and it's it's what they prefer. Yeah, um, you guys have talked a little bit, you know, uh, sort of on the fringe about how your business model differs from the average developer. Um, either one of you, you know, what's the, I guess, what's the biggest thing? I'm gonna phrase it a little different. What's the, the biggest difference in your business model that perhaps could actually be applied to a traditional for-profit business model that could um, benefit both the company and also the, the folks living in, in the home ultimately and the neighborhoods as well? I can start out and Daryl can jump in. I think um, you know we our model differs in several ways. 
Um, it differs by the way we finance our, our projects, the way we build them and the way we sell them. And um, you know, while we adhere to all the same building codes as every other developer, and we usually build far beyond uh, what's required, the standards required, uh, we finance our developments using donations from private individuals and groups, um, as opposed to maybe through tax credits and things like that. So we're privately financed in, to a significant degree. City governments often assist us with land or, or some off help offset some of the permitting costs, but um, predominantly uh, for everything from the foundation of the home to the finish is funded through private donations and, and uh, private contributions. Also, as Daryl mentioned, during construction, we do use volunteer labor, as you mentioned too with your grandfather. So we, we pair skilled uh, tradespeople with um, volunteers from the community and the homeowners themselves to help build their homes. So. I don't, I don't uh, think that the traditional construction industry will probably adopt that uh, practice, but I do think that the one thing they could do is, as I mentioned, with the sale of the home, we assist the buyers with a tiered um, loan structure so that uh, it is more affordable for them. We have down payment assistance programs and um, we are deferring a portion of the mortgage that's uh, due at the end of uh, a period of time rather than right up front. So their mortgage payment never exceeds 33% uh, of their gross monthly income at the time they purchased the home. That's great. Um, I want to jump in there because I actually do think that that volunteer model could gain some ground in, in a for-profit space because, you know, we talked about education and housing, right? Jobs is the other one. And one of the things the construction industry needs sorely is is qualified folks and i wonder if maybe in the for-profit space that maybe it wouldn't be volunteer but it'd be sort of an apprenticeship program where um you know something maybe government funded maybe not i don't i don't know but like through a jobs program where you you know if, if you as a developer building a huge commercial development you're required to have 40 percent of the folks who work for you um you know be in that local area and maybe you don't have, there aren't enough people to fill those slots, we'll then do some sort of apprenticeship program. It brings down your cost as the developer. Maybe an argument could be made, it slows down the process because those people aren't, you know, but I don't think so. I think, you know, after day six or whatever, that person's, you know, gonna be just as good as the, the guy next to him, you know, and it's just about sort of shepherding those people along a little bit and providing really good jobs. So I think I think some sort of hybridization of that volunteer model actually could work in the for, for profit space. What do you think, Daryl? I think as you you're definitely on the right path. So for us, Habitat, we actually partner with uh, a job corps or a youth build, and nice. we do provide those those opportunities for folks to gain skills that they would not have other have. So, and also be able to find entry into the construction uh, arena, be it become a solar panel installer, become an electrician, you know? So we, we do partner with those programs to help us build our homes. And so, you know, for us, what you're saying is already integrated into what we do. Yeah. And it's also, you know, how we kind of see our own team. You know, we have team, team members that come in at the bottom and they're not as skilled. And during the time of construction and learning on the job, they move up into higher skilled positions. And so it's, def it's definitely an arena where you can learn and grow 
uh, professionally is construction for sure. That's great to hear. That's great to hear that you're using those, those programs already. Um, Cause that's what we need, right? We need better, better jobs so that people can afford homes. Um, well, just one other thing I wanted to kind of uh, build upon is the, so for our, our fan was difference between Habitat and a typical developer is when Habitat has, do, does a development, we don't lead it. So our Habitat buyers are part of our Habitat family. And so and until death do us part. <laughs> and so, and so, and, it, and it's, and it's great because, you know, when we're able to see our, our older partner families come back and share their stories and where they have gone. And then, you know, when we're really great in archiving all of our bills. So to see the pictures of them and the articles of them back when we built them to now, it's just, it really gives you goosebumps to see like, wow, we've had an impact on that family and we were doing this 30 years ago. And so, you know, it's, it's really, it's really, it's really a, a neat aspect of what Habitat does. And so, you know, if I, if I, I'm not going to uh, talk bad about any pro builder, but, you know, once they're done with the project and they sell that house, they're gone. You know, only thing right. they have connected to the buyer is the warranty, you know, whereas we have a lifetime of stories and bringing those folks back to help spread the mission and, you know, re-energize uh, everyone with their stories. Have you guys ever partnered with, um, on, on projects, maybe larger projects with for-profit developers? Does that, does that happen at all? Yes, we, we have. And it's something that we also, you know, recognize that, you know, for us to, to increase our bandwidth that we're definitely looking to do. But if we do partner with someone that, company has to have the same mission as ours and and to, and so that that's that's you know their corporate structure and their corporate mission has to be in alignment with habitats and so and and when we did partner with a, a, a professional builder it was great you know the project got done well they really came out and they even they but they they got other parts of their business to come out and volunteer so awesome. the accounting department came out and volunteered mm -hmm. you know they had they had the ceo and all the vps they were working where you know the administrative staff was the ones leading that day and so mm -hmm. it was it was really and, and it was a really i think they got a lot out of it and of course we got a great project out of it and daryl launched a program last year called builders blitz in which he recruited four, um, you know, four for-profit developers, most of them, I think, commercial developers even, hmm. um, to each adopt a Habitat house and build it from the ground up. You want to talk more about that? Yeah, so we we did a builder's blitz. We did we built four houses in two weeks, and it wow. was it was it was great because we got these four great builder developers, and they're all they all were bought in. And they, it became a competition of like <laughs> who can build it faster and who can build it better. And, you know, I think we, there's and, an HGTV show that, that <laughs> kind of tracks that <laughs> way might, too. Yeah. And, and just to see every day, the amount of folks who came out to site and just for all for the purpose of building these homes. And then, you know, and then at lunchtime, we would have what we call an H box, which we share information about habitat and our mission, kind of how we did earlier. And, and this, and then also we had the homeowners there. Nice. And so the builders were able to meet the homeowners. And then 
And for the homeowners to see their houses go up so fast, they were like, oh my God, this is, this is happening. This is really happening, you know? And so, and when we did the dedication, you know, it was great because, you know, I, I empowered uh, my team that worked on the Blitz to actually do the dedication for the family. So it was great. So it, it was for them to step out of their usual construction role and to actually have a really one-on-one -on -one um interaction with the buyer and with the builder so it, it, it turned out really well and we plan to do another one uh starting april of 2021 another four a four house blitz build with uh three of the four builders are coming back we did it so well they want to come back and so <laughs> it's, it's going to be phenomenal so there will be one new kid on the block though yes that's fun um all right well i don't want to take up too much of your time here guys so i'm going to start wrapping up but um <laughs> You know, one of the things that we wanted to definitely focus on was, you know, how you how you think, basically, we've talked a lot about little things already, but I'd like to hear specifically how you think helping, you know, disadvantaged or lower income, let's say, um, families and communities uh, in Los Angeles really contributes to sort of those overall sustainability goals of the city itself, you know, Los Angeles and California, um, are, are big on throwing out the term sustainability. And, uh, you know, there's lots of legislation and there's certainly assistance here and there, but, you know, you guys are the boots on the ground really making it happen. And I'm curious, um, two-part question, I guess. Yeah, like, how, how do you see that? How do you see what you're doing affecting sort of the overall vision for the city itself, um, given that, the city has a 65, I think, almost population of uh, Latinx and, and Black communities um, that are underrepresented in, in the, the housing ownership category. Um, and then also, are there certain legislations? Um, are there uh, programs that are help helping what you're doing and then also maybe even hindering what you're doing, if you want to speak to that a little bit? I can talk to, to that in two, two elements. One is uh, I was on the original team that helped develop the city of Los Angeles' sustainability plan. Wow. Um, and I worked specifically in the housing um, piece of that. Uh, one of the elements was to retrofit existing homes um, uh, to remove uh, landscaping that required a lot of watering and replace it with drought tolerant landscaping. So we, we helped pilot that with the city of Los Angeles and did uh, water um, uh, tolerant, uh, drought tolerant uh, retrofits. And then the, the other program I mentioned, which is to um, do energy retrofits on existing homes. This, this one's focusing on the Watts area of the city of Los Angeles, and we'll be um, doing 300 of those homes over the next three years. So that's, those are specific elements of the city of Los Angeles' sustainability plan where Habitat is, is feeling that we can have the most impact. And then you bring up a great question, which is uh, what's our broader commitment to the sustainability of families living in Los Angeles, especially black and Latinx families who have been sorely underrepresented and even discriminated against through housing policies over the years. And um, right now the black homeownership rate is at its lowest point, it's been in 20 years and that's just not acceptable. Habitat since our beginning 30 years ago has 91% um, of the families that we have uh, partner with here in Los Angeles are families of color. And uh, we, be we believe, we know, because we see it, as Daryl's mentioned, 
that um, by providing uh, families with the opportunity at home ownership, it will permanently transform um, those families. And uh, the, the way to uh, build assets and build equity in our nation, one of the biggest ways is through home ownership because um, over time, uh, you build equity in your house through paying your loans down and you build equity in your house through appreciation. And you can use that equity to go to college or to you know start your own business. And so Habitat's commitment in this space is to create more opportunities for people of color to own a home. And what we'll be lobbying for um, in the advocacy sense is to have more funds dedicated uh, towards home ownership uh, for families earning below the median income uh, to be able to get down payment assistance to purchase a home. And we know through our experience uh, that if you do it right, less than one half of 1% of our families ever default on their mortgage. And so um, that's through um, home buyer training and readiness programs, and then providing them an affordable mortgage payment, uh, we will for forever transform the sustainability of each family we serve for generations to come. That's great. Um, I wonder if the events of this year, you know, and some of the social justice um, initiatives that have come out, and, and I guess just awareness, social justice awareness, um, that that's in the media. Uh, do you have you seen anything change in the last, you know, six to nine months? Are you part of discussions in the, at the at the policy level, or you know, with with friends or folks, um, you know, in the non for profit space? Is this going to change anything, or is it just a, you know, a, a moment in the media, in your opinion? I think what's changed is awareness and sentiment. And now what needs to change is, is policy and practice. I think um, there are a number of legislators and community leaders and um, community members who are not going to let the conversation go away. And so I think uh, it starts with awareness about historical practices that have impacted families of color and um, and finding ways to remove barriers and, and uh, increase those home ownership rates. Daryl, would you feel free to add? Yeah, please. No, I totally agree. I think the biggest thing I'm seeing is the awareness, you know, the history of redlining and all these practices, racial, racist practices that kept uh, Blacks and Latinx folks from being able to purchase homes, especially in Los Angeles. You know, that was eye-opening for me to learn that. And so, you know, and also the fact that, you know, housing is not a want, it's a need. And so for folks to finally realize that and for us to be actually putting that into practice, I think it's one of the changes that we're gonna see in the next couple of months. That's great. Yeah, I'm, I'm hopeful as well that there will be some, some shifts and that maybe policy and, and planning can, um, figure out a way to, yeah, to, to put some new initiatives in place that can kind of directly uh, combat the, the history of, of racist uh, planning, uh, for sure. And my last question, uh, 
kind of a nice segue. You guys do some some larger scale projects and you've got a couple coming up. One that I'm uh, aware of in Long Beach, which I guess brings you full circle from your uh, your immediate post-college days. Daryl, do you want to speak to the uh, development that's going down uh, in, the, in the Long Beach neighborhood there? Yeah, so we have a, a, a initiative in the Washington neighborhood in Long Beach, uh, neighborhood revitalization. And it has started first with the policy and with the people. So we first met with the school and getting the school built up and getting the families built up, getting them more energized and becoming more involved in their community. And so we have a great neighborhood watch and a neighborhood community group now for Washington neighborhood that our team has put together. Also, we have um, worked at the school to be done murals. We had this great program called Safe Passages where we would help children be able to safely walk to school without having any, any safety issues getting into school. And so now to go along with our social aspect, we are now gonna be breaking ground on 10 new units uh, within the next month. And that's gonna be phenomenal. And then in that's addition awesome. to those 10, we have another 38 coming on board within the next 12 months after that. So we've already, in, we've already previously finished four homes in the neighborhood. And so now we're gonna add another close to 50 homes in the neighborhood. And that's just new construction. We're also looking at to provide our, our repair program and our retrofit program into the neighborhood as well. And also we have our educational program going into the, going there. It's been, it's been going for a couple of years now. So our Pathways to Ownership program. So we're getting folks going into that. And, and what's great about the Pathways program is not only is it for folks to be able to buy a home from Habitat for one of our projects, but if we find that people might be qualified to buy their first entry level home uh, in anywhere in, in Long Beach or in Southern California, we can help partner them with um, getting a home that might be their, their first entry level home. So a lot of people, uh, what we found, or what I've seen throughout my years in affordable housing is all about information. A lot of people just don't know. Yeah. And so a lot of people will say, oh, I can never own a house. But then they'll go through this, this program that we have, our Pathways program, and it's like, oh, I can actually afford a afford I can afford that mortgage, and so you know it's 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 exciting to see what we have been able to do over the last couple of years. And in this neighborhood, you know, when we first looked, when we first adopted this neighborhood, you know, the uh, the life expectancy the life expectancy in this square mile was seven years less than the life expectancy from a neighborhood just a mile away in Long Beach. And so you know, for us. That 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 really just shook that that really shook us and really made it made it made it made us really want to adopt this neighborhood and become a, a neighborhood revitalization neighborhood. That's great. That's it's it, it. You know, we talked about integrated design earlier, and I mean, this is like you guys are doing integrated community design, really. Um, you know, on all on all levels. Um, that's fantastic. Um, Aaron, I'm going to close with you. You know what? What's next, other than the specific projects that Daryl spoke to? What's next for the organization? Um, what are you, What are you most excited about in the in the next couple years or next twelve? Um, and and then if you want to just throw out some, you know, your your website at the end. So if anybody wants some more information, they want to contact you guys, or they you know want to learn more about. 
sure. being a first time homeowner, things like that, uh, if you want to tell them where to go for that. Well, I think one thing that's exciting for us is that we are um, we're expanding our work into more communities. We're going to be doing more in the Antelope Valley and San Fernando Valley, and um, we are expanding our home repair programs. We also have a program we didn't mention, which is um, our uh, our disaster response program. And so um, we are working with families whose homes were burned in 2017 and 2018 in the wildfires and helping them rebuild. And so we have a commitment that if any families in our area were uninsured or underinsured and they lost their home, that Habitat will help them all along the path until they can move back into their home build and move back in. And so um, we're doing a lot of wildfire rebuilding up in the valley right now. But I think I think what excites me is just growth in the capacity to serve more families. Housing and homeownership is in the, the state and national conversation now in a way that it hasn't been in the last 10 to 15 years. And so I feel that there is some awareness and momentum building for us to increase the number of homes that we are number of families we're able to serve over the next several years. Um, as you said, as a resource, our website is habitatla.org and our phone number at the office is 310-323-4663. Um, we also have three restores throughout Los Angeles, which are sort of a cross between a thrift store and a home improvement store where all the items are donated. So that's also in a way we, um, we address the environment. Uh, a significant portion of uh, what winds up in our landfills is construction debris and old yeah. furniture. And so now we ask people to donate those things, old windows, doors, light fixtures, you know, everything, the kitchen sink to have. I saw a Viking range. Yeah, there's some pretty on nice Brea, stuff. And I was like, oh my gosh, I wish I had. So you could donate. Ones. We'll actually pick it up. You get a tax donation or you could shop. Uh, a good portion of the inventory is new. It's donated from wholesalers and retailers that are discontinuing product. And uh, some of it is, is very choice use things like that Viking stove. And so our, our stores are in Torrance, um, uh, West La Brea, on La Brea uh, in Mid Wilshire and in Bellflower. So you could shop and support us as well. And then I was gonna throw out one, one uh, resource that I liked, we were talking about social justice and housing in Los Angeles and how it's been impacted by policy. Just before COVID, the movie came out this year um, featuring uh, uh, Anthony Mackie and Samuel L. Jackson called The Banker. And it's about, it's a true story about these um, two gentlemen in the 60s who de decided that they wanted to build a business through, um, through buying real estate and through investing in real estate. And uh, because they were uh, African-American, they were denied a lot of those opportunities, but they sort of found someone who would, you know, they, they found partners who would help them from behind the scenes. And it's just, a, it's very enlightening about housing in Los Angeles. If you get a chance, it's called The Banker. That's awesome. I've not seen it and I would love to. And I appreciate the, uh, that's my son cooing in the background there. Um, I don't know if you can hear him, but uh, he's very excited. We'll watch it together. <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you guys so much, truly. It's been a pleasure and uh, uh, I'm glad to have this conversation about housing and um, affordability and we, we mix some sustainability in there as well. <laughs> yeah. um, but you guys are doing great work uh, and I really uh, look up to your organization. I think, I think you're definitely a beacon in the, in the development space. And I think a lot of folks can, can learn from what you're doing and 
from your approach as well. Thank you. Yeah. Um, thanks and for. When we're all able to. You got to come out and swing a hammer with us. Yes. Yes. Of course. I mean, that's a whole nother podcast, right? About how how this is all the work from home situation has changed your <laughs> your organization's strategy and stuff. But no time for that today, I suppose. Um, but best to you guys, and thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you, Ian. Appreciate it.